Welcome to the Centre of Research Excellence in Cerebral Palsy podcast. In this episode, Peter Rosenbaum speaking from the Redihoff Symposium held in March 2018 at the Royal Children's Hospital in Melbourne. Dr. Peter Rosenbaum is Professor of Paediatrics at McMaster University in Canada. Among his many other achievements is co-founding CanChild and authoring over 300 peer-reviewed papers and book chapters. Peter talks about the F-words in goal setting for children with neurodisability and their families. For context, you could listen back to episode three of this podcast, where Peter talked about the F-words. He also shares an abridged version of that context here. So a little bit of the background of, of where the field is at, and um, there's probably nobody uh, my age or older in the room, but uh, for the people who are closer to my age, you will know that we have a tradition of thinking uh, about childhood disability that is changing, and I think quite rapidly and clearly for the better. So I want to talk a little bit about that. I want to reflect on some of the influences that are leading us to open our minds to other ways of thinking. And I particularly want to talk about the World Health Organization's International Classification of Framework. So the ICF framework, uh, which uh, I think is profoundly important, was published in 2001. And one of the messages, and we've just spent a morning talking a little bit with families about knowledge translation, is 2001 was 17 years ago. Uh, so those of you who are health professionals uh, and don't and haven't yet encountered the ICF uh, will see that this is a fairly typical experience of something that is new, excuse me, taking a very long time to become part of the day-to-day discussion and the, and the fabric of how we think. For those of you who aren't familiar with this, um, the ICF framework is a framework for health. It's a framework for health for everybody, not just for people with, as, as is illustrated here, CP or, or autism as a couple of examples. You can use this framework about any health condition. And what you see is that there are several components of the framework that remind us that any health condition does have manifestations in terms of body structure and function. That is what is in some way interfering with ordinary function. So those of us who wear glasses clearly have a problem in, uh, in, in our eyes that is corrected, hopefully completely, with glasses. Any health condition may have manifestations in terms of activity. Now, this may be ADLs. I like to think of activity as the I-N-G words of life, is the doing. We also are highlighting, or the, at least the ICF highlights, and many of us in this room highlight the importance of participation or engagement in life in ways that are meaningful for you. Not that you should be doing what I think you should be doing, but are you able to do what's important to you? And this is a, a, a notion that we have too easily in the past ignored. And I'll try to come back and and give an example of that later. The other things that are here that have always been there but have been too easy to ignore are personal factors, what's important to you, what floats your boat, and environmental factors, 
And needless to say, environmental factors are uh, very uh, many and very varied. The obvious, and when we talk about environment, we, talk about, we usually think about the physical environment. So there are people, there's at least one person here in a wheelchair, um, but he wouldn't be able to easily to sit somewhere in the middle. Is this place wheelchair accessible? Um, but what, in addition to the physical environment, there's the human environment, family, friends, and so on. What about the attitudinal environment? What about the economic environment? In this country, the NDIS is an example of an environmental factor related to policy that is hopefully enhancing the lives of people with disabilities. Other countries don't have such pro uh, programs. And so thinking about all of these together is very important. Now, there are a number of things that I think we, we always want to highlight. What we like about the ICF, we at CanChild, and we use it in all kinds of ways, is a framework for health for everybody. It's not specific to any particular population. The words are neutral, and I highlight that because the original version of this from the World Health Organization in 1980 talked about impairments, disabilities, and handicaps. And those are words which are not quite Dickensian, but pretty close. Certainly, uh, we're not using cripple anymore, but we're talking about disability and, ha and particularly handicap. And handicap is uh, a sort of odd idea these days. Most particularly, this is a dynamic system of interconnected parts. All the arrows, I don't know how well that shows up, uh, in the, yeah, it shows up reasonably well up in the northwest corner. Um, all the arrows are bidirectional. And what this means is that where we start in our interventions doesn't matter as much as it used to. We used to think we had to work on the impairment, we had to do lots of whatever therapy was meant to be in order for people then to be able to pick up their bed and walk. And that is quite challenging in many areas of the work we do because we don't have therapies that allow people to pick up their bed and walk or talk. And the ICF, finally, for us, is a strengths-based approach. It focuses on what people can do. And some of the implications for us are that we need to stop talking so much about fixing. We should fix what we can. I'm not against fixing things. Orthopedic surgeons at ski hills, you don't have as many as we do. Um, but if you want to be an orthopedic surgeon at a uh, have a clinic at the bottom of a ski hill, you'll fix lots of wrists and ankles for five or six months of the year and then sail for the rest of the year because you've made so much money. But we don't fix very much. We need to get rid of the notion of normality. It's a dumb idea at the best of times, and yet it has tyrannized us because our default position in kids who have problems with walking or talking or behaving is that they should behave, they should walk or talk or behave normally. Well, normal's a dumb idea. It's a statistical idea, and half the world is below average on anything, and half the world is above average on anything in a norm normative sense, in a bell-shaped curve sense. But the notion of normal walking or talking is just silly. And we need to th change our thinking about disability, and the World Health Organization's approach to disability is an incompatibility between what you are able to do and want to do and the environmental affordances. If you, for example, are able to come to this talk today, but the talk is on the fifth floor and the elevators aren't working, you are disabled by the environment. 
You got here. You're ready to, to attend. You want to attend. You can't get there. It's not your fault. It's the environment's fault. And then if we think about the implication of that, you're not confined to your wheelchair. You're confined when the elevators are broken or you're confined when your wheelchair is broken. And it's a way of thinking that is more than semantics. It's really important, I think, to, to reflect these changing ideas. The things we need to promote, we need to talk about development. We all, I presume everybody in this room works in the field of developmental disability, and then we forget the first word. I always ask parents, what do you want to brag about? What can we build on that your child can do or your family can do? And so being uh, focused on strengths, being focused on achievement, and, think, and being family-centered is tremendously important and is part of uh, the way in which we all in this room are thinking these days. Now, what we did was played with this and adapted the uh, ICF framework uh, with a paper that we wrote a few years ago, a kind of tongue-in-cheek uh, notion called the F-words in childhood disability. I swear this is how we should think. We've presented talks about the F-words all over the place over 90 times. These are invited talks. These are not just the talks I will tell you about at a cocktail party. These are real, real proper talks. Um, and the, I, the words uh, are now available in at least 25 languages and counting. And this is because colleagues at the Cerebral Palsy Alliance uh, did a poster a few years ago, which they shared, which they asked us permission to do and was developed with parents and uh, has now been uh, translated by colleagues around the world. Peter refers to the presentation slides a little bit here, but it's easy enough to follow. We've linked to some of the F-words resources on the CanChild website. For now, here are the F-words. What we've done is not to pretend that these are the only important words or concepts, but try to operationalize the ICF framework with words that might make some sense to the kids and families we work with. So with respect to body structure and function in the dark blue, uh, we talk about fitness. And we emphasize fitness because that's something that we tend to forget about because we're so busy with other things. Now, Rachel Tooby doesn't forget about that, and she's running a bicycle training program. And lots of other people in this, in this uh, building and this uh, uh, community are interested in this. But it's really important to remember fitness as one of the things we should be paying attention to. With respect to activity, we talk about function. It doesn't matter how you do it. It matters that you do it. Participation, we've identified friendships. Personal factors, we've identified fun. And environment, we're emphasizing in particular family for the self-evident reason that kids uh, live in families and that family is the nuclear environment that's essential for children. We put future at the bottom because future doesn't fit into the ICF framework. The ICF framework is a slice in time. It's a description of the current situation. But we want people to remember that children are a work in progress. I suspect the adults in the room are as well. But children, self-evidently, are in a process of development. Peter will mention some photos from the presentation slides. But again, we think you can pick up the meaning easily enough from his description. So let's go on and talk very briefly about, uh, about what we're interested in and how we're trying to encourage people to think about the F words. So function refers to what people do and how it's done is not important. So here's Vasily uh, on the left and he's bowling. And he's not bowling the same way as uh, some of us do. Uh, and he's not communicating in the same way that some of us do in the middle picture. Um, and he's in the swimming pool with a lot of support from his family. But he's doing all of these things. 
And you say, well, yeah, so what? And the question is whether this is different from before. And I think it is. Maybe not so much again for people in this room, but remember that you are going to need to take these ideas out of this room and understand them and be able, if you like them, to communicate to other people. So our traditional focus was on impairments. And Virginia Wright, a colleague of ours <clears throat> who did a very nice PhD about 10 years ago and looked very de in a very detailed way at the changes in body structure and function and activity and participation after Botox in kids who were carefully selected as potentially uh, responsive to Botox. And what she showed is big changes in body structure and function, which we would expect, very little change in activity, very little change in participation. So the, it ain't necessarily so is the message that just because we change one thing doesn't mean we change the things that are important to the kids. Now, there may be lots of good reasons to use Botox or other interventions for their, for their own sake, but they're not automatically going to change, going to transfer into other uh, spheres. In the F words concept, the notion of function operationalizes activity. And if we think developmentally, um, if I were to start walking the way uh, my 18-month-old grandson did, uh, you'd wonder what I'd been drinking or what, what condition I had. But it was very appropriate for him at 18 months to walk the way an 18-month-old does. And now he's a four-year-old and he's walking like a four-year-old and running like a four-year-old. So developmentally, things change. And I think our, the tyranny of normal is that we've wanted kids to do things normally from the beginning instead of celebrating what they can do, allowing them to get on with it, and then helping them, if they need help, to do it more easily or more efficiently. And this focuses then on achievement. Um, family is self-evident again. Um, and to us, it's obvious. Um, most of us have worked for, in the field for a long time and have probably never, ever had a three-year-old come into clinic on their own and say, Doc, you've got to help me. My behavior sucks. I walk. I don't talk good. And my, you know, my, my walking is clumsy. We meet kids through their families. And we have to be thinking about working with family as the unit of interest. Um, and in the uh, F-words notion, we're thinking and emphasizing family-centered service as tremendously important. And again, I won't go into what this means because you all know that. There's a lot of evidence that it actually matters. It's not just be nice to people. Fitness, I've talked about, and again, here's Vasily doing things like horseback riding and playing sledge hockey. And in the bottom right-hand corner, his mother tells this story so beautifully. He was very keen to do this, uh, uh, this high-wire act, and she uh, agreed and helped him get up there. And then she found out after he'd gone down the zip line that there was no way down except by the zip line, and she hates heights. So she was very proud of herself for exposing herself to this horrible experience, but it was important for her son. And fitness, as I said, is a neglected aspect of childhood disability uh, and something that we should be thinking much more about. With respect to fun, uh, I, I ask rhetorically, isn't this what childhood, dis childhood is about? And fun is about doing stuff and doing stuff that's important to us, not necessarily to other people. People with disabilities are known to have lower rates of participation, and Christine's work and many people's work has shown this consistently. Um, and so the question becomes, what can we do to enhance uh, and increase participation? And lots of obvious things. Find out what they want to do. Figure out how to adapt it. 
And doing that builds children's confidence and competence and sense of achievement and capacity. And what isn't on here that's equally important is other people see those kids doing things. Charlene Butler's work 30 years ago, giving powered mobility to very young kids, had tremendous impacts on what those kids could do in terms of getting into mischief and so on. It also changed other people's perceptions of those kids. And so there are lots of reasons, not just for the kids, but for the families to, to do these kinds of things. Friends, it's central. And this is a huge concern for most parents. We don't know how to help parents enhance their children's friendships. And this is an area that parents of older kids will tell you repeatedly is a concern for them. And I, the, the bottom bullet is the trade-off between being engaged in things that are either important to you or have social benefit versus extra therapy. Now, they, they don't have to be mutually exclusive, but there are times when there have to be trade-offs. And I think we as professionals need to be aware of that. The future. Uh, this is a comment from one of the parents. The future is now. Tomorrow is what I make of today. I don't want opportunities to pass me by. Help me achieve what I can today. And as I said before, I think that future is what child development is all about. It's, it's the active part of a journey. And if we're not thinking about future, if we're not thinking about where we're going, and I don't mean in terms of career, but what is it that's going to help you as a child feel better about yourself? What is it that's going to help you as parents feel better about your child's ability? We have to keep that in mind. Um, and this means thinking early on about transitions. And transition classically is getting to be 18, but transition from preschool to school, from school to high school, uh, transition from being uh, prepubertal to pubertal. All of those are real transitions that we should think about uh, and be aware of. And uh, I think a lot of us haven't traditionally been trained to think this way. The original F-Words paper Peter referred to has spawned a lot of different knowledge translation work. One piece of work related to goal setting is the F-Words agreement. This was something developed by Diane Kay in the, in the United Kingdom uh, soon after she saw the F-Words paper. She saw the F-Words paper because I sent it to her. And I sent it to her because she wrote to me and I thought she was a physio asking about my thoughts about therapy versus um, physical therapy versus uh, walking aids. And so I said, well, here's some things that we've just recently been thinking about. Tell me more about the child. And she wrote back and said, well, actually, he's Alfie, he's my son. And we're in a bun fight with the therapist at school because they want him to have lots of therapy and I want him to have a walker. Um, and so she immediately adapted these ideas and created the F-words agreement. Uh, and this is Alfie's F-words agreement. And, you know, obviously it can change with time. But what, what this says is that this is what... She, Diane wants other people to know about Alfie, about function, family, fitness, fun, and friends, uh, and future. So it's an interesting way to introduce Alfie as a person, not as a person with cerebral palsy, as a person to other people. Uh, Daniela, the parent uh, who you saw on the, uh, the zipline, uh, created this collage, and this was her idea. And what's cool about this, and parents love this, is because not only do you have to find pictures that will illustrate things about your child or your family, but you can constantly be changing this. And again, the template uh, for this is on the website. And when we do workshops on the F-words, 
uh, Andrea always meets with the people who've invited us and asks them to get us half a dozen parents who join a web uh, conference a couple of weeks before we go to the center. And we introduce this to the parents and we ask parents to create an F-Words collage or some other version of the F-Words story about their child. And they present it at the meetings. And it is the most stunning part of any presentation we do because it illustrates the actual on the ground kind of application of this by parents who didn't know it before. So you don't have to study this for six months. You get introduced to it, you think about it, parents come back with all kinds of things that they've done. And we do this routinely now and it's really cool. Um, and this is uh, Julia's F-Words collage. And um, you'll see that Julia in the bottom right with respect to future, this is when she was a, an undergraduate student. And Julia has a hemi syndrome and her goal was to go to medical school. And she got accepted to two medical schools and she's in one of them this year. Uh, and a very cool young woman. And she's also an elite athlete. She holds some Canadian records in uh, para sports. Um, and it's just, this is about a 21 year old or 22 year old. So again, this is not just about kids. The F-Words profile, uh, this is another creation by Daniela. Uh, and in, here is Vasily. Uh, and yeah, I don't expect you to read this, but I respect it. He says, function, what are the things he wants to work on? Uh, or, or what's important to him? My family is, my fitness, or I stay fit by, and so on. So it illustrates the ways in which these ideas can be personalized, operationalized for each person and how this becomes then part of a passport that introduces uh, these people, uh, these young people to others. Um, and I love this comment from a parent. You get, you'll gather information from reports, testing and IEP internet and in, in, what do you call it? Uh, uh, individual uh, educational plan goals. And this will give you invaluable insight into my son's needs. For a fuller picture of my awesome child, however, I would like to present you with the following document from my child about my child. And this is such a lovely uh, example of the balance between the kinds of things that we do that are important, understanding what are the challenges and how to address them, and the person. So F-words and goal setting, finally. I hear you say. Um, this is an early development from uh, a colleague in uh, one of the children's treatment centers in Ontario, uh, Maria Sassini, who wanted to introduce the F words to parents. And she created this original template on the left, which has uh, a framework for sitting down with a family or having the family do this ahead of time to identify their goals with respect to each of these F words. And her, goal, her hope was to better establish family-centered collaborative goal setting. Then what happened was some adaptation of this. So now you see a similar, a similar set of ideas, but in addition to the goal, there's the why. We don't know why that is important. It's not to question whether it's important, but it may be that I can see that you need to work on your balance. And so that's a goal I'm setting as a professional. It may be that you say, I can't, I'm really struggling riding my bike and working on balance is to help you with an activity, with function. It may be that when we go on long bike rides with my friends, I can't keep up because I lose my balance. And so now the goal of working on balance, the why is for participatory reasons. 
And it was, it was a really useful challenge to us to think this through together and to recognize that identifying the reason for working on that goal is something we haven't typically done. And it may legitimately be a professional goal, professional's goal, it may be legitimately a parent's goal, it may be the kid's goal. But I think it's important to know why the goal is being addressed uh, or why the goal is being stated and who's stating it. And we know from lots and lots of experience, and everybody in this room knows this, that if it's a goal that the person uh, wants to work on or the family wants to work on, they're much more likely to work on it than if it's a goal we set <clears throat> that isn't important to them. Peter and other researchers working in this area also consider the issue of the F-words outside of the context of research and practice. How do they integrate with funding? Can we match F-words goals to ministry-mandated care plans? And this came up, ministry, our ministry in Ontario uh, has a set of goals that are in the, in the uh, computer. And so if you're a therapist and you go in, you've got to find the right goal. Well, guess what? We need to make the, the, the menu much larger because a lot of the goals that are there are kind of professionally set goals, rather traditional. Um, and I think we can try to relate the goals to both the F-words and the ICF in, in which they are situated. And we can ask whether F-words goals need to stipulate real life situations and not just isolated abilities. And this relates to an important World Health Organization ICF concept that I didn't refer to, which is that we're interested in both capacity and performance. So think about being in the clinic uh, with a child with diplegic cerebral palsy and we're watching their gait. We're watching their gait on a surface like this probably, but not in a busy, not in the cafeteria, not on a slippery wet floor, not on a shag rug. We set the environment to get a good idea of capacity and that's fine. But then we're disappointed to hear when that, when that kid's in school, they're using a walker. Well, what the hell? They didn't need the walker when they were in clinic. No, but in school, the halls are crowded and the floors are slippery in the winter in our, in our country anyway. And so this child is being safe by using his walker. The capacity and environment, the capacity performance gap allows us to think about what factors might be influencing why the child who could walk so nicely in clinic or talk so nicely in clinic or behave so nicely in clinic isn't walking or talking or behaving that way in other environments. And by recognizing that, that the gap exists, we can then do a kind of analysis of what might be the factors that would help to narrow that gap. Uh, so the key components which make a goal an F-word goal, doing something uh, or an activity plus the context. So putting on my makeup and standing uh, might be a, a function goal, but why? So that I can stand at the mirror with my friends when getting ready for a night out or perhaps at the end of the night when I'm getting ready to go home, I can stand in the bathroom and uh, adjust my makeup. Uh, it might even be my makeup. Um, ride my bike for fitness. Why? So I can go on rides with my family. And this relates obviously to fun, family, function, potentially to fitness. But the understanding of the rationale from the young person or from the families of kids who are very young, uh, I think is, is adds a, di a dimension that we haven't thought about. 
Um, here's another example of a way to apply this. Um, the child has a, a goal under each F word. The function goal is to dress myself. The family goal is to join in on a family walk and so on. And I think it's just, I'm just trying to illustrate how these F words allow us to be more precise and specific about that child, that family, and not just about the condition. Um, and so the key message from one of our Australian colleagues is my interpretation <clears throat> was that goals should be child-friendly, participation-focused, and therefore meaningful to the child in the context of their everyday lives. The benefit will be goals that are focused on trying, experiencing, and doing activities that are regular life experiences for children so that opportunities and activities are promoted and engaged in and not missed by children with neurodisability. One of the ways that we sometimes uh, forget to think about disability is uh, a framework of, de of deprivation. Now, deprivation in the social sense are, uh, refers to kids who are neglected and left not fed and not given opportunities, and we call in children's services under extreme circumstances. But I would challenge you to think about the idea <clears throat> that kids with disabilities can be deprived of the experiences that ordinary kids would have or that they would have if they didn't have their impairment. So think about a typical two-year-old, junior terrorist, adolescent in training, um, and then think about that same kid's twin with diplegic cerebral palsy and think about how different they are and that the child without cerebral palsy is mobile, active, and engaged, motor-minded, as Gazelle said, and the child with cerebral palsy may be relatively deprived of all of those opportunities to explore and get into mischief. And if we think about that, we think about our roles as focusing as much on development as on the impairment. So the F words provide us opportunities to apply concepts from the World Health Organization and can't argue with them, uh, if you like them, to operationalize the F-words approach to the ICF, if you like that, and to think about the why of what we're doing. And whether you do it with F-words or not, I think we need to be thinking about why we're doing what we're doing and what's the evidence. Thank you for listening to the Centre of Research Excellence in Cerebral Palsy podcast. Subscribe to this podcast using your favourite podcast app. To find out more about us, head to crecp.org.au. Trixie Studio. 